Caroline Scott. No, Scott, new people are here. Greetings and welcome to Knox Mente at the special time. Uh, tonight's guest is Thomas Sheridan. Thomas is an author, artist, and filmmaker from Dublin, Ireland. He came to international recognition in 2011 in his book, Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. A former rock musician, corporate communications consultant, and stand-up comic, Thomas has used his arsenal of past experiences to help both himself and others to navigate the often surreal pathological landscape of mayhem and mystery. From history to advertising, dogma to deceptions, that we, as a human species, often find ourselves caught within. Thomas, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me on. Our pleasure is ours. Yes, we've definitely been looking forward to this one, Thomas. It's been a while since I've done an interview, so uh, you're practically getting me as a virgin again. (laughs) Excellent. This is like no interview you've ever had, I guarantee yeah, it's just, just, just be, be gentle with me. Oh, of course. I'll have to. I'll have to remember that. I'll put the gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's um, let's move into it. Tell us about the world you grew up in, Thomas, and and kind of what we're looking for. Things that stick out that um, have symbolic significance. So. Possible early programming like cartoons. Did you have a relationship with nature? Um, and any early dreams you may recall? Wow, what a fantastic question to ask. That's wonderful. No one's ever asked me that before. I love that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> early memories, violence, basically. I was grew up in Ireland at a time when there was a lot of political problems. And uh, I was nearly blown up by a car bomb when I was about 10, not about eight or nine. And uh, uh, that stepped me into reality very quickly. I suddenly stopped being a child at a very early age and became a very serious, intense kid. Very, very serious. And uh, not like that I was morose or anything like that. I was a very jolly character, you know, as I've been all my life. But I, I was aware of the finality of existence at a very early age. And uh, it was a, a very strange experience to be thrown into reality in such a visceral way at that age. And so from an extremely early age, I was throwing myself into Encyclopedia Britannica's, which I used to read from cover to cover. I was took an interest in astronomy. I took an interest in electronics and science and art. And music, uh, I, I, the first record I bought when I was nine years old was Life on Mars by David Bowie. So I jumped in to life in a very intense way. I was a very intense child at a very young age. And um, I wasn't a misfit. Or I, didn't, I, had, I had friends. I had a pretty normal school life. I didn't have any problems in that regard. And uh, it was a pretty just a regular working class like Irish life back in the, you know, the 70s. As a kid growing into the 80s, which kind of became fantastic because it was, it was a whole awakening for me. Now, you talked about like influences. Uh, I didn't even really watch that much TV as a kid. I used to watch like, we used to have like uh, 
the Irish TV stations and we had the British TV stations. I lived in the east coast of Ireland in a tower block. So we used to play with to put a big antenna on top of the roof and see the BBC and the UTV and all these, these British channels, <laughs> Granada and all these kind of things and Welsh television. Here, I remember hearing Welsh at a very early age. And um, it made me realize I lived on an island. I lived on an island. And like all island people, you sort of have this trajectory that outside is uh, amazing. Or, or, you know, it's different. So it's like there's a huge world out there. And, but I, at the same time, too, it was like I, I, I went very deep into Ireland as well. When I, was, um, when I was 10, they took us to take us. They took us on a school trip to the Boyne Valley which is about 40 miles north of Dublin. And it's, uh, it's one of the most remarkable megalithic ancient sacred site, land, sacred site landscapes on the face of the earth. Uh, the, the Hill of Tara is there, Newgrange is there, the, the megalithic chambers of Nout and Doubt are there. And that was an enormous, gigantic uh, influence on me the day that happened. And ever since then, I've been fascinated by sacred sites and ancient sites and megaliths all over the world. And that was that began that love affair. Uh, we, it, although I grew up in a very urban area, there was a um, there was a an old ancestral land. It was like belonged to a, a like a wealthy family, and they they vanished years ago. I think they were they were the the the, the, the house was destroyed during the Irish War of Independence in the twenties. And so it just had been left, a wild wood had been left in a kind of an enclave in this urban area was this amazing wild wood. And when I say wild, I mean it was literally, it was literally ancient, a, a proper diversity of like ancient species, ancient oaks, ancient ash, ancient elms. And I had my first mystical experiences in this place. Now, I didn't see anything. But I felt it. I felt that there was an intelligence to nature. I can remember there was now there was one specific part of it where a river ran through it. There was an island in the middle of it, and the island was only accessible by two trees that were kind of falling on on top of each other. So it was like a tr a tree bridge. And at the time, I was reading stories like uh, Mark Twain's stories about Huckleberry Finn, and I remember being very taken by those stories of. Uh, life in America at that time. And, and here was I kind of like, even in urban 1970s Ireland as a kid, kind of experiencing the same thing, the kind of wildness and stuff like that in, in a very limited, tiny area. And uh, I, had, I had the first spiritual experiences there. Now, what was amazing about that was many years later, I discovered that that was probably the original Thor's Grove, the Viking Grove of Dublin, because... Before the Christians reconquered Brian Baru and the Christians reconquered Dublin from the Vikings, the first thing they did was go to the north of the city and destroy a wood that was known as Thor's Grove. In fact, Dubliners, like I'm a Dubliner myself, were known as uh, uh, Tomar Muntir in Irish language, which means the people of Thor. Uh, we were pagans and we, were, we, were, we spoke Norwegian and Irish is kind of a hybrid of both. And most of us have Norwegian as well as Irish ancestry. And I discovered years later that the name of the place was called Santry, which translates from the Irish to Shannon Three, which means the land of the old tribes. And so I was taken by fate, fortune, kismet, whatever, into a pagan ancient landscape in the middle of the city where I lived. And it had a, such a profound effect on me that I've carried with me till this day. So it's almost like I have felt from day one 
that doors were opening for me to make me understand my ancestry, my magical and spiritual destiny as much as possible. And so that was basically my life. Now, in terms of pop culture growing up, I was mad for music. I, I was a huge, like I said, a massive David Bowie and Queen fan from day one. And then when the punk rock thing came along, that was a huge, a huge influence on me. I loved uh, the Sex Pistols. I loved the jam. I, I didn't really like the Clash that much. But I, then I fell madly in love with Susie and the Banshees, which are probably my all-time favorite band. And then that led into a, me learning to play music and wanting to play in bands myself. So yeah, that, that was a pretty much my, that's pretty much my childhood growing up years. How old were you when you had the first mystical experience in the Thor's Grove wood? I'd say I was about 12 and I was skipping school. Uh, I, I remember like, with my friend of mine, Tommy Farrell, and the two of us, we used to, we had like a late afternoon on a Friday, a last class was like economics or some, something like that. And uh, we used to skip that class and go into the woods. And uh, I can remember, I'll tell you what it was. It was seeing a, a red squirrel going up a tree. I know that sounds very mundane. If you grew, I know in America, you're surrounded by wildlife. You're, you, you know, that's nothing. But when you grow up in an inner city area and you see a red squirrel, that's, that's, about, that's a pretty profound experience. And I can remember that moment of silence, the absolute silence of the woods. It was, there was no traffic noise. There was no nothing. Uh, the spiritual experience, yeah, about 12, about 11, 12, I'd say it was more, and the two of us had at the same time, it was more like a wow kind of, what is this feeling we're having? I've never seen a red squirrel. They're very beautiful. They're, you, 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 well, we have a problem with you American gray squirrels in Ireland. Somebody back 100 years ago introduced American squirrels, and they, have, they almost made our red, beautiful red squirrels extinct mm. until they, the pine martens, which is a native uh, kind of uh, predator, Burden, yeah. Uh, yeah, started eating them. <laughs> so your gray, the American gray squirrel is being exterminated in Ireland by, by one of our local predators who got a taste for it, the red squirrels. They're uh, good against mosquitoes, too. They hunt all the mosquitoes. Yeah. The martens. We, there's, um, where, I'm, where my family's from in Georgia, there are lots of red squirrels. But, really? Yeah, they're beautiful. I, I love them. Also well, up the, in Iowa. The, the Appalachians there is teeming with remarkable wildlife. Oh, yeah. I used oh, to go camping. Camp, when I lived in America, I used to go camping up in upstate New York, up around Lake... Uh, Lake George and that area of up, upstate New York, and you know the the finger the what's finger called finger lakes, lakes yep. fantastic. I mean, just the to see, yeah, an amazing colored snakes. See them on the side of the road, <laughs> or you know, one night we we nearly got eaten by a bear in a tent, but it was funny, yeah. you know. Kind of yes. thing. But the American bears are harmless. Yeah, yeah unless they're grizzlies, right? <laughs> they're scary. Well, it was our own fault. We cooked a load of fish, but then we got drunk, too drunk to eat it, and left it in the frying pan. And oh, just... oh, yes, that's a... That's, that's a, a no-no. That is a big no-no. What were you, did, Was your household very religious when you were young? No. F thank God. I know that sounds ironic, but... <laughs> <laughs> if I can say one thing for my parents, that they, they, told, me, they told me from an early age, that don't, don't bother with that nonsense. I can even remember my old man saying they're all a bunch of kitty fiddlers and stuff like that. So even at an early age, and I can even like, you know, I have to say that like, if I can say one good thing about my parents in terms of anything, it was that they were, we were not religious in any way. 
not at all. Now I made my, I was raised Catholic and I made my confirmation and my Holy First Holy Communion, but that was really just going through the motions. It wasn't because anyone believed it, but no, uh, luckily, uh, luckily I wasn't raised in anything like that. So it was from a very early age, uh, I was not indoctrinated. That's a gift from parents for sure. Same here. That's, um, I think it's a, it's a higher, higher way to raise your kid. Yeah. No, I just think they just didn't like, care. I think like, I thought maybe they had a bad experience or something, but like, uh, they never forced me or anything. There was none of that stuff. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's still a gift, whether it was conscious or not. What, what do you, did you have any, what was your dream life like as a young lad? When you mean dreams, you mean my dreaming life or my, my ambitions, my hopes? Your dreaming life, your actual go to sleep and have, go to that realm. Yeah, absolutely psychedelic. Like you would not believe, uh, I mean, intensely. Like, I mean, I, I still am a ferocious dreamer to these days. And like taking a painting was a huge way of me getting that out. My dreams, I mean... When I first took LSD, it was like, uh, what's the big deal? I dream like this all the time. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> but then I had really good LSD and I, saw, I felt the difference. But yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of my dreams were, I never had nightmares and stuff growing up, but I do remember like, uh, I, I do remember dreams that were almost like, they were very, always very beautiful, my dreams. There was always a sense of love and a sensation of uh, compassion and empathy in them. I always felt very kind of protected in my dreams. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of nightmares growing up, uh, I don't think. Uh, no, no, I just I say my dreams are actually quite, yeah, very vivid, constant, and uh, technicolor, and uh, pleasant. Mm-hmm. I don't have any, I don't have any recollection. I started having the most ferocious nightmares of my life after I became well-known, and that's kind of an interesting thing. After I, after Puzzling People became a bestseller, that's when I really started having nightmares that were, I mean, they were horrific, which, which is which is interesting in itself, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you equate those with psychic attacks? Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and, and uh, non-entity attacks, mm-hmm. uh, ent- entities operating on behalf of uh, sort of like um, mindless creatures, yeah, mindless uh, beings operating on behalf of people who are like jealous or hateful or resentful or whatever. Absolutely, 100% no doubt about it. Physical 3D Uh, creatures? Or or like tulpas? A mixture of both. Okay. Uh, I think I told this story to someone recently at an event or something. I think it was in Ireland, that talk I was doing. Or something, but anyway, uh, in in September thirtieth, sorry, twenty ninth, two thousand and twelve, I had the most horrific uh, night paralysis, horrific dream thing of my life. Uh, it was it was real, uh, and this being that this being that had one eye on extended on a stick, uh, making electrical signals. And for noises, uh, and one hand outward reached towards me that looked like a kind of a crossbeam. You know the Daleks from Doctor Who? Imagine one of them with a sheet over it. That kind of look, making these mechanical noises and literally taking the energy out of my body and even talking about it now, it was a difficult thing to talk about. Uh, 
now I, I'm, I, I keep diaries and journals, so I always write down my dreams. And so I've actually, I call this thing the electrical Nightchester because that's what it felt like. It was an electrical entity. Now in demonology, uh, and I've had a couple of experiences like that, there's always talk about them having an electrical or clockwork kind of aspect to their audio impression. But yeah, that was that that was ferocious. And um, at the time, yeah, I was being attacked by a, a, a particularly dangerous and psychotic cult in France that are quite, you know, I'm not going to name or anything for because people are working on this behind the scenes. Uh, but yeah, that these people were dark and dangerous and psychotic and demented, and uh, they wanted me dead. And they, I, you know, what? I don't think they subconsciously sent this entity because they don't have that kind of power. But I think they're basically I went, I, my wall was weaker. And so something could jump in. And yeah, the, so yeah. This was 2012? Yeah, September 29th, 2019, sorry, 2012, yeah. That uh, electrical digital aspect has been reported with entity abductions or alien abductions, whatever you want to call it, uh, as oh, well. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and owls. Do you remember that movie, The uh, Strange Owl Phenomenon? Do you remember that movie, um, the class of the titans yeah. there was like a clockwork yes. a very a wonderful film in the early 80s oh, i love a, it so much there was a clockwork owl in it that's people have had these weird owl experiences where a, a giant owl was on the street one day looking mm. at them they they've reported these mechanical electromechanical buzzings and clickings like an old relay you know like an old an old electromechanical relay mm -hmm. in an old telephone exchange with, coupled with radio static in an owl shape Great. Yeah. <clears throat> That's pretty crazy. I don't know what I would do about that. Yeah. I had another experience like that when I was younger. Uh, I, well, I had a few, a, few, a few very strange experiences, but one was I was 1982. I was lying face down in my bed one beautiful summer's morning. I was about 17 or 16, and an earthquake had happened that morning in Dublin. And uh, I was suddenly thrown up in the air on the bed and it sounded like a, a metal hammer or a steel hammer had landed on a concrete floor. That was the kind of aftershock. And I woke up and said, what the hell was that? So I thought it was a, a plane crashed or something outside. I looked around me behind me and there in the corner of the room was a monkey. <laughs> you know, it sounds weird, but it, would look, it looked like a monkey. It looked like a, a little ape kind of creature. And it was looking around trying to find me or find something. And it suddenly made eye contact with me. And when it made eye contact with me, it was like a, a homing device. It leaped across the room screaming and jumped on my back and beat the crap out of me. And I fainted. When I woke up later on, I had bruises on my back. Was that psychosomatic? Was that some kind of entity attack? What, did the earthquake have a part of it? Most certainly. But I don't know. But I've had other experiences like that. Like I had friends who did something really stupid back in the 1970s. We were actually practicing magic quite early and they they summoned paimon the demon and uh, for a laugh and they were all like out of their heads and sniffing glue and the room lit up a completely blue color and they all ran out screaming but they all said the same thing that the, the, the it sounded like they were inside a giant am radio that was tuning to look for a signal they could hear all these weird clicking and uh, radio noises all over the place. So that that now I wasn't there, but that comes up over and over again. This kind of weird electrostatic sound. Yeah. I've even heard it from other magicians during other operations that so they've had that kind of 
remarkable it's a it's a remar- it's something that doesn't get enough attention i know it's well it's kind of hard to define it and it's kind of hard to describe it if you've never experienced it i thought i have i'm just saying it's not something to really you could explore it but it'd be difficult yeah i think also because it was first noticed in sort of like the victorian era before radio transmission mm. and they could they didn't really have the vernacular or the language to frame it as like oh it sounds like you know or a frequency they didn't it didn't exist so they just probably said strange cacophonies or use this kind of like, uh, you know, sort of flowery language. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, that's also kind of the feeling people get when they transition into like an, when their astral body separates from their physical body. Some people report that same kind of static or white noise, vibration sounds. Yeah, it just goes to show you, like the 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 whole idea of us being electromechanical beings in an in an electromechanical reality is far more profound than we sort of like, you know, are nervous. I mean, Jack Parsons said like the the the, the cent, you know, the, the the epicenter of magic is the nervous system, and it's true. I thought it was the endocrine system. <laughs> endocrine, well, yeah, that uh, maybe maybe it's both. maybe. No, that's just I don't. I'm not correcting your quote. I just always thought it was endocrine. Yeah, well, it could be lots of things. It's yeah. also the quantum thing as well. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's multi-phase and multi... You know, if you look at, like, an electronic circuit board, you have everything there from crystals to induction to digital... Every, you know, so why would we be the same? And then you've got layers and layers of circuits on one board. Yeah, yeah, why would we be the same? Mm-hmm. Because that's yeah. digital copy of reality, so, of course. We're the organic version of that. Anyway, sorry. No, no. It's nice to see the electrical stuff coming into full view now, though. I think a lot of people have been honing in on it for a long time, and so much of it has been uh, skirted aside. So as we've gotten deeper into some of the sciences, saying there's something here um, in in conjunction with all these experiences magicians and, and other people, whatever you want to call them, dreamers are having, uh, it's painting a a larger picture. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always been there. If you look at sigils and seals, they look just like electrical circuit diagrams. Yes. I mean, I, I studied electro- electronic engineering, and that was what I originally studied before I dropped out. And, uh, I mean, I loved electronics, but I hated college. Uh, I'm very unhappy in college studying. I didn't like the, the, the social scene or anything. And I can quite remember the first thing, the, the opening up the, the, the books on, you know, on building circuits and designing circuits, and there were all sigils in front of me. I remember very clearly that came. I'm actually I'm working on a, a kind of a. You're getting a world exclusive here. I'm working on some electronic sigils uh, using circuit boards, which I will be making videos of soon. And I've been playing around with them, uh, and uh, you know, stay tuned. I will be making little videos on them. But I'm fascinated by the idea, and there seems to be quite powerful results. It's almost like giving the the sigil an amplifier in the same way that you give your voice a microphone i tried something similar to that i've been doing it for the last couple years where i will make a sigil and i will engrave it on something and then put it on next to my router my wi-fi router very good yeah with the intention that the wi-fi will broadcast the sigil intention on yeah there's loads of things you can do like that i mean i i i mean i have a friend back uh back in dublin who Put one. <laughs> wait, this story. Uh, he, there was a, there was a. He was doing the sound engineering for a big political rally, and he 
got the sigil and he put it on the speaker diaphragm on uh, on all the big the big speakers that were blasting out the sound the big you know the big master units and he put the he made it in black tape on all of them and uh, guess what he won the lottery a year later oh wow yeah. <laughs> good stuff I love all this stuff pushing magic forward into the yeah. modern age. We, you know, starting with like chaos magic that everyone was so opposed to, and then now it's ubiquitous. Well, that was classic chaos. What he did, that was classic chaos. Yeah, yeah. You but know? then now, what you're doing with the electric, you know, um, digitizing sigils is yeah. brilliant. I'm still using analog. I haven't gone digital. It'll, it <laughs> it's will good. be that. It's going to be an analog circuit. <laughs> okay. Excellent. I can't wait for those videos and that, all that. What did, what's your experience with lucidity? Like when were you able in dreams going, wh where did it start where you were able to find a high degree of lucidity where you had control of what was going on in the dream time? I don't think I ever had. I have to be honest about that. Still I to this day? Well, now, yeah, I think I'm, I'm very much passive and... Uh, I'm very much passive within the dream world. I've not really explored that aspect of, um, it's funny, people talk to me about that. They say, oh, well, why do you do this? And I says, well, I kind of like sit back and watch the show. I, I think I'm rather lazy in the actual dream world. I think that's what I am. <laughs> it's almost like I, I sit back and say, you know, entertain me, motherfuckers. And that's like my attitude. <laughs> that's excellent. And yet you still have these amazing, um, you know, high chroma, psychedelic type uh, dreams going on from what you were saying that started when you were quite young. Yeah, well, I was also taking magic mushrooms and stuff like that at a very early age. In fact, I had I went kind of crazy on them the last few weeks uh, for the first time in years and years because the last time, I think it was six, seven years ago, the last time I took a load of magic mushrooms, uh, I got really, really violently ill, like toxic, toxic thing. Oh, no. and, uh, so they put me off them for a while, but this year they were amazing. They didn't affect me in any way physically, and it was just beautiful, uh, f just beautiful, loving sensations of uh, tripping. Uh, they were, we had a very, very hot summer here in Ireland this year, and whatever it did to the mushrooms, my God, it turbocharged them, but they were outstanding this year. There was no toxic problems or anything. But yeah, I was doing that at an early age. I mean, like, I mean, we used to have a lot of, we, we were kind of like, we had, a, you know, growing up where we did, we had a lot of bonus kids. I can remember uh, there was a, a big heroin problem when I was about 13, 14, 15. And there was a competition we had in school to design a poster, an anti-drugs an anti poster. And the prize was 50 pounds, which was like really good money back. And um, my, my poster won. It was a junkie inside a prison and the prison bars were made out of there. Uh, syringes was pretty oh, wow. cool wow. And, I, and i was uh, and, and they had like the, the police commissioner on the stage that day gave me the first prize and he said oh it's great that you you know we have young lads like you who stand up against the, the scourge of drugs then we took the 50 pounds and went out and bought lsd <laughs> <laughs> that's that's excellent irony but that was spiritual spiritual it wasn't drugs uh you're the first person we've interviewed that's had a psychedelic experience that spanned what 30 over 30 years uh, or possibly under. Um, how, well, I have you... jumped away for for like you know like eight or nine years at a time. It, it, it hasn't been constant. Sure, I, I get that, but you've got the yeah. span there. Um, my question was yeah. more: Were there any differences in in the realms that you traveled to during the trip n now than when like when you first did it? Or... Yeah. Uh, well, first I want to say I've never ever had a bad trip. 
I will give you the similarities. I've seen these gray alien things all my life. Since I was about 15 on, I've seen these gray aliens. Whatever those gray alien things are, up until two weeks ago, I see, I see them. Whatever they are. And, uh, up until two weeks ago? You, yeah, explain that. Well, I stopped. I, that was when I had no mushrooms left. They were all gone. I'm a firm believer in, in seasonal. Uh, yep. And, and indigenous. So indigenous. I, you, won't, you, you won't find me down in a yurt in the Amazon taking, you know, ayahuasca. ayahuasca. You know, I'm Celtic, I'm Northern European, and we have our own antigens and teaching plants. And your and that's, own that's, spirits. That, yeah, and that's, you know, yeah. that's it. Now, I'll tell, I, what, now that you said that, yeah, uh, very early on, it was kind of like uh, very parochial. Uh, the archetypes that came through were ravens and very Celtic and Irish and that kind of thing. I mean, I used to see ravens in them, like multicolored ravens and multicolored butterflies and kind of Celtic art kind of vibe in them. Well, I would say from my from the thir my late thirties on, and this is really interesting. I see more and more Hindu type archetypes. And <laughs> Hindu I've heard gods. that from other people too. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing, and then the eyes, the like you know, like I the, these these you know, it's very when you when you when you when you're tripping, it's very difficult to recall it afterwards. You can write down. It's just it's like your mind can't comprehend what you see, but you do remember, you do remember aspects of it. And the thing that always stands out to me is like I'm turning into a Hindu. I don't know if it's all the curries I've eaten, but I'm turning into I'm turning into. It's all my trips became increasingly Vedic as I aged, which is I just don't I can't explain that one, but it's fascinating. We had these Hindu kind of vibes, these Hindu kind of gods. Yeah, it seems I, like they're almost um, uh, a single point in the tree of origin of these archetypes. They're somewhere, everything arced off of them. We could be going back in time. We could be, you know, those of us of like Indo-European, and remember, like we are, are we are, you know, our ancestors did come from the steppes. One half of the family went into Europe, the other half of the family went into the Hindu Kush in India. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's our, that's our heritage too. So it might be a, a kind of like a, a widening or a spreading out of the archetypes. Mm. Or maybe you've just yeah. accessed, we as a culture or collective have accessed deeper layers in our DNA memories. Or and, I think, and, I, and I think you mature as you get older as well. I think you're, you absorb new, you know, like your, your life experiences pour into them as well. You're, the kind of music you listen to you're t even foods like things you wouldn't eat. You wouldn't eat things like papadoms when you were a little kid in Ireland, but now you do. So, you know, are, are things from the from the from the Asian world. I think all these things you become a kind of a, a painting of of a sort, mm. and then all the archetypes. It's almost like you're now receptive to them. That's interesting. Just from food. Or you know, anything. Listening to Bollywood, watching watching Bollywood movies. You do knows. You know, God knows. Listening to Ravi Shankar or a Hula, Hula Shaker albums, I, I I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I meant I meant more of the culture, but I was just thinking, wow, if you could just yeah. just from food alone, that's going to expand your yeah your yeah. awareness of that culture. So I yeah. saw an interview years ago, Robert Smith from The Cure, and it was a Japanese lady interviewing him, and she said, uh, it, 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 you know, The Cure to us in Japan, you sound very Eastern. And it, did that come from listening to music? And he said something like, no, it's probably come from like going to curry houses. So, you know, it just, it's not the first time someone said it. Right. 
It's an interesting, it's interesting that you bring this up right now, though, because in the last month, I've talked to several people that are, this is my, I brought it up. So it's come out of me mentioning it, that I'm noticing, I've always been attracted to the Hindi stuff and um, have a lot of that stuff um, in my, in my workings just naturally. But I've all of a sudden, I'm hearing about people Longtime magicians talking about these deities showing up in their dreams or showing up in active imaginations, and I, it's just making me curious. Why am I just honing in on it? Is there, you know, how we we preset our ideas and then our, the world fills in around them? So I see and I'm hearing more people talk about this, but you are yet another person saying this. Um, so there's, I don't know, there's something there. It's also, it's so old, the culture, and these gods are, are very, very old and complex. And they're also so similar to ours as well. You know, like the Kali is the Valkyrie, the, the Morrigan, you know, yes. Indra, yes. Indra is, Thor, is Thor, Dunar, you know, you know, it just goes on and on. I mean, there's this, the archetypal similarities and particularly powerful. We also uh, could be dealing with a kind of a, a widening of the archetypal experience as human beings as well. We could be dealing with that. Uh, and, you know, we're actually broadening out. But it is interesting. I don't, you know, it, I, I think, I know this is going to sound kind of controversial, but I do think you're kind of racially trapped in, into it in many ways. I don't know whether that comes in the blood or the DNA or in the nervous system or whatever. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I can go to Native Americans and really enjoy that stuff and really, really get a vibe from it, or Aborigines or whatever. But I don't relate to it in the same way I do things from the Indian subcontinent. Uh, in the same way I relate to European archetypes, and that's not chauvinism or anything. I'm not saying it's better or anything like that. It's just like the same reason I wouldn't go for ayahuasca in South America. I just feel connected. I, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can only relate to what I feel relate, I can relate to. And I, I can't be Mr. New Age, uh, all is one. It's, for me, it's like uh, I'm very much, maybe I'm kind of like a spiritual redneck or something, but I'm very much trapped within the, the Celtic, Nordic, European, Indo-European, and the Vedic thing. I, I, I can't get out of it. I'm very much trapped in it. I don't know why that is. I would like to know what it likes to feel like to be a... A, you know, a, a Navajo shaman or a, a Toltec or an Aboriginal Australian, but it's just not going to happen. It's one of the things that puts me off when I, in a lot of spiritual um, conversations and communities where they're all of a sudden, you know, that I don't know, this is probably going to sound terrible, but always like, well, I find myself at festivals and I always be like the white Indians. I'm talking American Indians. They would be clearly like of Scandinavian descent and and burning sage and all this and I can understand I understand the desire and all that but it always it always just seemed like a a, a bad meme and um and on another point you're making as the world's becoming more globalized as we're becoming more educated in general about other cultures because of the internet because of um food and all the and and um exposure to other cultures through basically the internet um i think it's definitely got to be changing the way our collective unconscious is functioning there's a sea change in the ocean in the in the sea there's a change happening and we're seeing it on the archetypal level so it's under the surface and it's deep down in there 
I'm wondering about some of the experiences people are having with sleep paralysis with these new, as I've been recording, new um, imagery that's new to me, having studied dreams a very long time. And with that said, do you, what are your experiences with sleep paralysis? I've never had it. I'm not the way, now it's funny because it runs in my family. The women seem to get it, which is a weird one, isn't it? And uh, I have a nant who was driven mad by night hag attacks for years, oh. even, when, even when I was a kid. Uh, no, it's never happened to me. Now, that thing I told you earlier on, that I was actually not sleep paralysis. That was like, an, an, a, that was like a being. That was like an entity. Uh, that, that's not how, what I, what peop, you know, I wasn't frozen. I was able to move and everything like that. Uh, sleep paralysis is a very disturbing thing uh, when you meet someone whose lives have been destroyed by it, and I have. And uh, it's definitely real. And any, you know, the, 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 I don't know. What, don't ask me what it caused it or anything like that. But it's absolutely real. But that's you, know, you just said something kind of interesting. Then before you said that, you mentioned that these, like you know, these like redheaded women who call themselves Navajo shaman and all this stuff. I've met this in Ireland. I've I've met I met a girl last this summer. <laughs> Talking to her, and she told me she was in a Navajo shaman, and I burst out laughing. Oh dear! <laughs> she did a she she did a course somewhere, you know, this kind of nonsense. And uh, you know, and and there's there's uh, they have these. I mean, it's it's gone awful in Ireland at the moment. Uh, uh, basically, cultural Marxists and all these kind of like annoying lefties have taken over uh, the kind of pagan scene here. So you you know, expect to see Brazilians. And I'm not saying nothing wrong with these people. I mean, good for them. But, you know, you'd have, like, Beltane festivals here where you'll have, like, uh, Afro-Caribbean dancers and stuff, and it's all because they get grant money from the government as all part of these diversity programs. What they're really doing is watering down and making it all people's spirituality mush at theirs and ours by turning it into some kind of new age, I don't know, pick-and-mix bullshit. And yeah, it's no, yeah. there's, no, there's no sincerity to it. There's no reality to it. There's no spiritual depth to it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can, you know, like I, I, when I lived in America, I used to meet Irish Americans all the time, and they used to say things to me like, "Yeah, well, I, I don't have any background, like anything like." Said, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I would like tell them all about like the the, the Irish mythological cycle, and you know, it's just you have an incredibly complex and rich ancient spiritual tradition that predates Christianity, goes back thousands and thousands of years, it's, and and it's all there. It's not even a myth. It's it's there and they're fully accessible. So asked, and they didn't know about these things. They just thought, like, oh, you're Irish-American, you're a Catholic or a Protestant, that's the end of it. Uh, you know, they didn't know about these. Not their fault, they just didn't know. But they really were flying down to, like, Peru to, you know, get raped in a tent by some guy. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know who was, like, pumping full of drugs. I mean, I mean I'm joking aside, that does happen. And, yes. um, unfortunately. And... Um, I think the I think that's I think there's a lot of spiritual mush, a lot of spiritual mush out there. A lot, of, you know. I mean, look, look at it this way. In every other aspect of life, we tend to focus, right? Suppose you're interested in I don't know trains. You might be interested in steam trains. You're interested in aircraft. You might be interested specifically in a type of aircraft, biplanes or something like that. I think, I think. You can do your best your best work if you concentrate on a specific path rather than that's true and one you have a genuine affection and connection to. And uh, I think the spiritual world works the same way as well. I mean, I know people, God love them, who have jumped from everything 
I mean, it, you know, they go to places like Sedona in America or Glastonbury, to every in England, to every bloody workshop they can find. And one one week it's Tibetan, the next week it's Vedic, the next week it's Celtic, the next week it's Nordic, and the next week it's Buddhist. They don't know where they're coming or going. And it's not helping them to grow as a spiritual person. It's actually doing the, the opposite effect. I, I think there's a, I think, I think, okay, what you can apply to chaos magic, I don't, you know, in terms of like grabbing what's available and uh, and working with what's of this kind of like, you know, impulsive gnosis of what's, a, I don't think that works as spirituality. I don't know why. I don't think it does. I don't think you can, you can, you know, go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and uh, do a kind of like uh, a, a Santeria thing. I just, for some reason, it doesn't work. Spirituality seems to be very specific. I don't mean that in a sectarian way that you shouldn't try our things and they shouldn't try ours. I just think that like it's almost like they want us to maintain our archetypes in as as pure as possible. I see that in folk magic. You see in folk magic, it's very very specific, and I think that's where a lot of spirituality is like. I think you have to nail it into that. I don't think we have a kind of a chaos spirituality yet. We have a chaos magic, but we don't have a chaos spirituality. There aren't really many, I'm sorry, there aren't, any, no there aren't really any archetypes associated with cast magic that we could, you know, manifest in that space. Archetypes, archetypes of chaos? Yeah. Well, there's this pop culture. I mean, you can use, I mean, you okay, can yeah, use. Okay, yeah, Superman, Batman. Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, and you can use things like, I mean, you know, I know people have done things like the Mothman. And even, you know, UFOs and even, you know, you know, like, I mean, David Bowie was kind of popular for a long time there with them. And, uh, and quite rightly, yeah, I think we can use that. There's no harm in that. There's, I think that's the beauty of it. But also, if you do look, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people I know who work with chaos too, they're also kind of like interested in Nordic and Celtic stuff as well in a kind of a rock and roll way. It's <clears> kind of hard to explain. You know oh, what I'm saying? It. Not in a kind of a purest way, in a kind of a in a kind of a rock and roll way. But um, yeah, I think yeah. I mean, I, I mean, my attitude is like I invent my. You know, I'm not like I'm not compl- I'm not fully in the world of chaos, and I'm definitely not in the world of ceremonial. But having said that, without mentioning them here, I've invented my own archetypes. Mm-hmm. I've given them names and I've created them as kind of like uh, compensatory gods. That I can work with in certain as sort of like mechanistic ideas in certain uh, aspects of my magical workings and uh, my spiritual development. So that's a that's a great thing as well. You know, that's a great thing too. That's kind of what I was getting at. That the, there's no, I mean, there's there are chaotic things that you can use, but there are no specific things for people. It, there's no palette of demons to choose from like there is, say, with the Goetia. Yeah, and some people love that. Some people need. Yeah. They need they they, they you can't they, you know they they can't sit down by the piano and find the notes they have to have the musical score and the right, training, right. and that's okay. That's just where they are. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, totally. But I, I, you know that's cool. But, but does ceremonial magic still work? I don't know. I've got like, I mean, I, I don't know if it still works to the, the level it, it did in the same way. I think it's it's like an onion. It's in the middle of an onion, and the new layers have appeared on top of that. Pop culture has put a whole new layer on it. That's more like a standing on a standing on the shoulder of giants kind of thing, rather than, you know, when I, people who do like Victorian ceremonial stuff today, is it really working? I mean, is it? I don't know. I don't know. 
But I, I you know, is it can be incorporated into something? Yeah, it can. I mean, gnosis is gnosis at the end of the day. Right. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I'd be interested if you could set up some kind of like a reality show where you could have a bunch of ceremonial musicians say like, and I'm not putting down the golden dawn. You know, they don't guys don't get don't get upset at me again. And uh, say a bunch of Wiccans or a bunch of uh, chaos magicians, and then have them quantify their success after six months. I would like to see that, just don't, for my own thing. Don't you think the observance of it would alter the outcome? Absolutely, but it'd be kind of fun too as well. It would be kind. Of, I mean, big the big the Big Brother TV show that had so much potential for that stuff from day one. I noticed it. But unfortunately, it got you know got a bit filled full of celebrities and stuff. But I, I remember watching the Big Brother show in England, and I was saying, God, this is a this is absolutely prime for this kind of chaos stuff. And uh, I, you know, I remember like thinking at the time I didn't know anybody. We should be trying to affect certain characters in the Big Brother house and stuff. Yes, I mean, I'm sure some people did it. I'm sure some people did it. But that was that was a fantastic missed opportunity. I think. Hmm. Interesting ideas. You said something earlier that I I don't want to get too far away from, um, and that was in, dealing with entities in in your dream time. Could you could you give us more information, maybe some experiences on how that plays out for you and what possibly you've encountered? Generally, I have very female, very feminine experiences in that world. I, I, I'm talking about the, the whole gauntlet of kind of like scary kind of Morrigan Cali type female entities all the way down to loving, nurturing, mothering in between that sexually feral ones, sex, romantically kind of ones. That's been very, very powerful all my life. Uh, now, I, in terms of, of that, that I, can't, I could never say it looked like this or it was like this, or it was this kind of entity or being, but definitely a strong feminine thing has always been present in my sort of spiritual realms, realms in the dream time. And even in uh, even when I'm tripping, it's like that. It's, I've always had that kind of like, you know, the, the mushroom has always appeared as a, as a woman. It's always manifested as, as a woman. Uh, uh, I... Like I said, I, 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 it was the weirdest thing. I never really had bad experiences until I became known. It's the funny. I can't explain it. Uh, I think uh, what Jerry said is bang on. They were psychic attacks. That that's what that that's what manifested that. But um, oh, I'll tell you something else. I've I've had strong Lovecraftian experiences. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I've had strong Lovecraftian experiences. Uh, I, my new book, Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangeness, I talk, you know, a lot of people say to me, you're always talking about Lovecraft, and I say because he's, you know, the guy's important. <laughs> you know, this is important stuff. I mean, you know, he, he is basically the, the, the guts of Western society with the skin torn off, and, you know, a lot of people don't seem to understand how the profundity of this man's legacy. He was probably, I would say, at this stage in history of development of magic, he was probably more important than Crowley at this point. Now, I, uh, I've, I, you know, like the subconscious mind, the ocean, the depths, the Lovecraftian idea. 
And there's one story or account in, in the book. I was living in Dublin in 2001-ish, 2002-ish. And uh, I had this dream of that human, human consciousness had developed at the bottom of the ocean. A very beautiful and powerful dream. And I woke up in bed and saying, James, that was great. That was really, I really, that was one of those dreams. I'm really glad I had it. The idea that human consciousness developed in the ocean. Computer's frozen. Am I no, back? You're not, there no, you weren't frozen. We were listening. I thought you had more. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, the I, ocean I, thing, I, the, I thought the screen freeze. Yeah. So, no. And so, I was very happy, very happy. I get up and it's exactly 3.33 a.m. on my clock, which is kind of interesting anyway. And I looked over and my, the, the flat that I was renting was over, it was on Dublin Bay. And I looked over the Irish Sea and a sliver of a, full, of a crescent moon was rising above the sea. And it was almost like, oh, this is meant to happen at this point. The idea was that the, the, the dream basically said that the human consciousness, in order for it to get to the surface of the air, it had to dream the moon into existence. That this is all very Lucrafian, very, you know, like the Gibbous Moon and all this kind of thing. And so, yeah, and, and since I was a bit of a teenager, yeah, I've been a Lovecraft nerd, a geek, and I still am and always will be, and, I, and, I'll, and that will never change. And uh, I have to say that his writing has been extremely deep on, in, my, in my development as a human being even. Now, uh, that's, that's there. That, I don't know what part of the sort of magical consciousness realms he inhabits but my god it's enormous it's absolutely gigantic and it's growing every year i mean in many ways they say like and it's true that crowley invented the 20th century i think lovecraft has actually invented the 21st century uh, i think there's a lot to that a lot of the things that he was you know we, look he played the whole thing i'm an atheist there's no magical world i'm a blah, mr science mr reductionist but look he, he was obviously lying to himself he was a passive, at the, at the very least, he was a passive shaman. At the very least, passive. Well, it could have been also the time frame he was set in. You know how Jung yeah. had to denounce anything, you know, that seemed woo at the time so he wouldn't lose credibility within the scientific community. So, I mean, it's hard to, we can't take these characters out of their, their context to the time period they were existing in. Yeah, I just want to know what it is about New England that produces this kind of thing because... You know, we had him, Edgar Allan Poe, and then we had Stephen King. And then, like, New England's a very fascinating place anyway for this. Like, you know, it, it was at this gestation of, like, uh, the, the European first encountering the Native American on this new land that caused this. I mean, there's huge... I mean, I, was, was Lovecraft the first transmigratory emigrant shaman? You know, like a lot of his work, he writes like an old world Englishman. A lot of his stuff is definitely hark. Like if you look at the, the story, like the moon bog about the, it, it shows tremendous knowledge of Irish uh, mythology. You know, for someone in America at that time, quite staggering, quite knowledge. And that was a, a story he wrote as a, as a, uh, as a, a competition for a St. Patrick's Day story or something. It was like a competition he wrote. And uh, uh, was the purpose of Lovecraft to take the European pagan tradition and transport it to North America. And I think there's, there's, there's a quite a possibility that he's almost like a transmigratory shaman in both his terms of his art and his personality, where he brought almost like the, the old world uh, pagan 
sensation world inclination and brought it to the Americas. Uh, the more I think about that, the more I think it's plausible. In your dreams, have you encountered, um, do you get a lot of the Lovecraftian, like the, the water stuff, the old ones? Oh, very much so. And I'm very much, uh, very much, uh, uh, and even like I told you at the beginning of the story, uh, that the lake in the middle of the, 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 the wood, the, the lake, the, the lake on the island in the middle of the woods. I've always been as, as young as I can remember staring into that deep water, whether it was the ocean or whether it was the lake or whether it was the pool, uh, uh, that whole thing of the, you know, close your eyes and see as James Joyce put it. Uh, I've, there's been this, uh, there's this, I know that we are down there. You know, I know that when we, you know, when I was a kid visiting my, we used to take the ferry across the Irish Sea to see my aunt in Liverpool. And in, in the middle of the Irish Sea, look, I used to look out the ship and look down the water. And I knew there was something about us that was down there. And I think yeah, Lovecraft, yes. Lovecraft and Young beautifully brought that into focus. Yes, I think, and I, I think anyone really in tune with all this has a deep, that same deep sense. Mm. Have, in, so do you have any specific dream imagery of um, things living down there that have come through, say, through your dreams? No, but I'll tell you what does happen. I do have, when I first started reading stories, Lovecraft stories, and the descriptions of the monsters in them, it was almost like, my subconscious recognized them, even though I had remember never remember seeing them. I yes. remember in the, yeah. in, in the TV series Doctor Who in the seventies, they had a thing called the Sea Devils, and they're very much kind of a Lovecraftian, you know, very similar to the the kind of marsh mutations in the Shadow over Innsmouth, the Lovecraft story. They're kind of like and, and I can, yeah. I, 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 if you ch- some of your listeners want to check that out, go look on old Doctor Who episodes of the Sea Devils from the nineteen seventies. And the Lovecraftian thing just comes screaming through. Uh, again, like these kind of humanoid, fishy people. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, it's almost like not in the dream themselves, but when you start reading about them and when you start imagining them, they look, they, they become, they come across as familiar. Also, in, I actually, I want to ground this a bit in your relationship with earth in the natural world so what and you talk about you're always talking about this in your videos but for people that haven't encountered you um what is how do you view the earth right now like what is it is it sentient is you know what what is it when you close your eyes or when you just instinctually think about nature and the earth well the whole universe is alive that's how I feel it. I feel all the planets are living beings. The earth is a living being. Even the moon is a living being. They're, I mean, they, 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 I got a lot of that from megaliths and a lot of those stones are alive. I can't explain it, but they are. They're alive at memory and they're alive at experience, maybe held in the quartz or the, the mica seams within these stones. The earth is a living being. Uh, the Gaia Hypostas, I agree with it. Yeah, it's absolutely alive. And uh, it's our mother. And this is one of these things that upsets me very much about this flat earth nonsense is that this is almost like a denial of, of reality, uh, a corruption and a violation, if not an, an, a blasphemy of uh, the, the pagan idea. And I mean, and all these, a lot of these people are born again Christian whack jobs. But, uh, uh, you know, the idea is like it, to deny that the earth is a, is a, is a globe is to basically 
it's basically to violate your mother or something like that. It's, it's also pain. says you're pro, it's calling it profane. It was absolutely, it, absolutely. It's a square. You're saying it's a square, it's flat, which is profane versus sphere, which is divine. So exactly, yeah. exactly. And also, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. There's a vulgarity there. And these guys, I think a lot of these people who are following this kind of philosophy, they're actually going to have a, a tremendous, it's already happened, tremendous psychic damage eventually. It's, 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 it's basically, it's basically raging against uh, reality, raging against, you know, basic truths. And I'm not talking about like, you know, Helios, the Helios or anything like that. I'm talking about spiritual truths. And uh, I, 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 you know, these guys can be very nasty. They've been very nasty to me. And it's like, uh, I'm seeing the worst elements of Christianity manifest within these kind of guys. And uh, sorry, lads, but you're definitely 100% on the wrong path in every way. And you should be trying to jump out before it absolutely destroys you. And I'm sure many of you already been destroyed. Yeah, there's a large core of evangelicals and Christians in, in that group. Yeah, frighteningly so. Frighteningly so, yes. What And also, so in tune with all of this, what are your ideas, Thomas, on the difference between states of consciousness, say, from dreams uh, to here to psychedelic experiences to meditation? Maybe what is the thread that's connecting all of this to the nowness we experience? I don't know if any of it's real. I know that sounds strange, but uh, I Not don't know. No. I don't know if I'm I just even... made a video on that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'm the dream or the dream is the real world or if the dream is another reality. I think it's a combination of all these things. I think basically uh, we dream reality into existence, into manifestation. I think there's a big truth to that. We dream out loud. We dream out loud. And... Uh, they, I think there's an awful lot of truth to that. I mean, if you look at a lot of the ancient pagan and even Aborigine traditions, African, does, they always talk about the idea that the, 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 the universe is built from a dream. It's dreamed into reality. And uh, uh, so, I mean, am I awake right now? Am I asleep? Am I a vision? Do I even exist? Am I somebody else's neuroses? I don't know. Uh, that's part of the fun. That's part of the magic of it. I think that... Uh, for a long time now, I've subscribed to the idea of the Vedic idea that we're basically all a, 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 tr a trillion eyes of a god, and we're all like a kind of like a synapse on this one large entity, and we're you know an individual synapse or whatever on this one large kind of god brain, and we're actually actively manufacturing or resolving, which is a better term, the universe going forward. I think that's it. The difference between dreams, I mean, dreams like w why do we even dream? It makes no sense. Could it, is, is it stopping for our neural pathways from shutting down? I don't know. I think, you know, there's lots of ways the brain could, could solve that problem. I think, um, I think, I think, yeah, I think definitely dreams, uh, different states of consciousness. This, yeah, we know we, the subconscious, the conscious mind, the dream states and all these astral worlds and all these kind of ideas. I think ultimately they're all feedback loops all wired into each other. And I think it's, it's like the circuit board analogy that Jerry made at the beginning. It's multi-phase. And but to create a whole. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, one of the earliest images I had, and I didn't realize it was Vedic at the time I was young, was that whole thousand eyes, million eyes. The um, 
that concept and I still, it's still deeply in me it, and it, it's not attached to, to Vedic anything. It's just natural and pure on its own. It's something I somehow honed in on. Um, so with this, so I want to, I want to get into maybe a little bit of like, um, apparitions and ghosts of the dead that you know, uh, and what your take is on that. Have you had experiences with them in dreams, in, in waking life? And what, what do you think is going on there? I'm really enjoying this. You're asking me questions. No one ever, no one else asked me. Uh, <laughs> Ghosts, how do I feel about ghosts? I don't know if ghosts exist. Uh, I mean, yeah, well, people see them and they experience them. I, I think there are a lot, a lot of, I mean, from my experience, I think there were a lot of, I think they're demons, really. I think a lot of them are. I think, I mean, I was in Texas there last year and I was, there was some event. There was two, some famous ghost hunters from TV there and they nearly, killed, they nearly died when I told them. Well, I, don't, I think they're like demons you're encountering inside the hospitals and the office prisons. And I said, what do you mean the demons? But they're patients. They're, they were ex-patients. They're ex-prisoners. And I says, no, they're all dead and gone. They're humans. I says, why, why would a human want to remain in a place like that? I said, if you look at demonology going back to the Babylonian, right back, they all say the same thing. They like to hide away from humans in old buildings, graveyards, caves, old mines, old woods. And that's the same with the fairy thing. I think the fairy thing and the demon thing is indistinguishable. I think it's the same experience. It's just a different name for it. And uh, and the aliens as well, and uh, I think you know I think you know I, I, I have I ever seen a ghost? I don't think I've I don't think I've I, I no I'm not I don't think I have actually seen what you could say a classic ghost ghost. I I've had weird experiences in places and all buildings and stuff like that, and uh, but they, I definitely think they were more they were entities. Now right near here is a place i'm actually working on a documentary funny enough on this about the like the haunted Ireland kind of idea there's a there's a there's a large house and it's got a great story connected to it it's a beautiful country estate manor house very large one called uh, lachian on the beach it's very beautiful in this part of Ireland. and uh, and uh, about 100 years ago the, uh, the 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 lord the lord of the manor's son took an interest in Egyptology, as was all the rage back then in the 1910s and 1920s. You know, Tutankhamun, everyone was going to Egypt. They were, they were all crazy for Egyptology. And he brought back a lot of sh stuff from, from Egypt, including mummies. And he was also involved in some ritual magic thing. And basically, within a couple of weeks, the house, the house started eating itself and started going bonkers. And... Uh, this beautiful house had to be abandoned. The staff wouldn't work there. No one would work there. The family had to vacate. And today it's just a shell covered in ivy. But I, I've gone into it, and I'm not kidding you. This is, this is definitely the truth, Nish. Uh, I've had rocks and bricks fly off walls to try and hit me. And so that, there's entities were actually manifested. Now, I have a video and, uh, on my Thomas Sheridan Arts channel called How to Capture a Demon. And that's what I did there. I got this, uh, I, I, my friend and I, who's a Satanist, we built, and also an electronics nerd, we built this device to try and capture an entity using, uh, using a seal inside a jar that was sealed with wax and white lead. Inside it had a very good high quality condenser microphone and uh, it's completely sealed. And we left it over there for the weekend, brought it back, you can see the video on, on my channel. And we captured something. Uh, we came to the conclusion it was probably some kind of spiritual wildlife. 
so we felt kind of bad about it and released it back to where it was. But uh, while we were in there, bricks were flying off the walls and everything. And uh, so, I mean, and people say, oh, it's ghosts, it's haunted. I actually think it's more like we're dealing with entities. I think a lot of these ghost hunter shows, and some of them, they do really do have the real thing does happen. You know, you can see there's no doubt about that. But they go, oh, it's you know, it's the, it's the ghost of Lord Effington and his chambermaid, blah blah blah, right. and it's, it, it's some kind of fairy or demon they're obviously dealing with. There's no way to verify what the hell it is. No, no, but it's definitely uh, you know, they they love these romantic stories, these Victorian melodramas. It makes oh, good TV. You know, yeah, Lord, Lady something, she was broken hard and threw herself off the cliffs and all this nonsense. Yeah. I like the old West ones where they jump out the second story window and then get embedded in the mud and die because <laughs> they can't pull them out. What, um, oh, yeah, and there's also, like, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I could go off on a tangent there. I, um, I wanted to get to this before we get past it too much, too, in the idea of um the earth and the the planetary spheres and all this being sentient and this question is is about spirit and matter so um because i i have the same view as you do with all this and i'm wondering and this is a ponder but is there something to maybe the process as as we see it even in the tree of life um the kabbalah uh with the the ascent and descent of energy into density. And um, could we be on that process too? Could say we be on our way to finding heavier density as a stone or, or, you know, something like that is, are we tied into this process? Yeah, I definitely think so. I wouldn't say it's as, 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 as sort of like basic as, I don't know what it is, I was reading a few years ago, I read some books on theosophy and they had some very good ideas about this, which I kind of thought were, were, were deserved a lot more merit than they were given. The idea that basically a matter hangs off thought or matter hangs off spirit. So we're like, we're hanging off, we're hanging off a, a spiritual thing, right? And so the idea is like that when you're elated, uh, you feel lighter. When you're depressed, you feel heavier. So you're, you're, you know, you, the, the more closer you are to a sort of a spiritual state, the, you're, you're floating almost. And we see that when you die, you float out of your body. When you're having an out-of-body, an astral experience, you float out of your body. Where you're depressed and you're down and you're sick, like I've got a cold at the moment, you feel like you're very much stuck in your, in your physical being. So I think that the, the, the theosophists had some really good ideas about that, which they kind of ultimately got from the Gnostics. But the idea that like spirit, spirit is like basically a, a foundation on which matter, matter hangs off. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And we're back, yeah. to the dream, we're back to the dreaming thing again, because the matter is then dreamed out loud from the actual spirit. Yes, definitely. And with that, what do you think is going on with reoccurrence? Um, so reoccurring symbols and a lot of times people experience that with say synchronicities, both in and out of dream time and, um, and with the process of deja vu, how do you think that all ties in here? I think both of them are related to something quite profound as the, the universe is, is playing games with you. I think, um, if you, 
it, come on, we've all done it. The more we notice synchronicities, the more profound they become, the more frequently they happen. Uh, I haven't had a deja vu in a long time, but that's that's a that's a that's a biological thing. Generally, you have more than when you're younger. But um, synchronicities are reference points. They're reference points to your development, to your pathway in life. And uh, I cannot stress to people enough that they they must place great value upon them, because synchronicities are one of the few things where you can actually say to somebody. Look, here's proof that you do have a magical destiny. Here's proof that you do you are a spiritual existence. You know, like I, you know, people always oh, just coincidence, but eventually you just if you they'll eventually say no, it, it was more than a coincidence. It 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 was extremely powerful, and uh, I started noticing more and more. Uh, I, you know, I, I know some people are quite disturbed by synchronicities. I found I I was quite surprised to find this lately. Oh, everywhere I look, I keep seeing the number 44 or something. Uh, it's really frightening me. And I says, why is it frightening you? I don't know. You know, like, I, it, it's almost like, well, maybe the lesson with that person is to stop being neurotic about it. Um, uh, I said, no, that's, you, you should be paying attention to this, and not in a, but in a neutral way. I always say, like, neutrality is the path, is, is the greatest path of spirit, being spiritual, I think. The spiritual development is being neutral. Uh, the, you know, but uh, I think, yeah, a lot of people, they don't, uh, they, so I was quite surprised by that. Recently, I felt like a guy I was talking to, and he was having these synchronicities, he was frightened by them. He was actually scared of them. And I said, don't be scared of them, recognize them, but don't place any great value upon them. Let them manifest and let them evolve into what they become. But at down the road, their, their, their profound nature will be revealed to you. So when you were writing Sorcery, did you have any interesting synchronicities around the book or the topics or? Yeah, my house split in two. Really? Yep. Wow. Could you elaborate on that? My house physically split in two halves. <laughs> the back of the house fell off. Wow. Oh my goodness. Uh, for no reason. Uh, the back walls fell off and the roof was pulled off and I had to, I mean, I was nearly homeless. Uh, books were flying off, everything. I mean, you name it. I mean, this uh, it was like, uh, oh, pipes bursting, electrical failures, uh, sparks appearing in the middle of the air. It was outrageous. And then when people who bought the book were telling me I was <laughs> 10 pages in and my washing machine, which is brand new, blew up. And my dishwasher froze. And I, I mean, I should have put a disclaimer in the beginning, not responsible for anything that may happen. But, oh, my God, that, that book, that, that book was something else. Let me tell you, it was book number seven, I think, of all the books I've written. Mm. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the house snapped in two. That's as clear as anything. Books were flying, but, uh, paintings were spinning on walls. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was like, though they all came to have a look. They all came to have a... They all, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I wrote in the book, I says, look, folks, just the very act of reading this book, things will happen in your house because not, don't be afraid of it. They're just, these entities are just interested. 99 times out of 100, they're harmless and they're just having a look. And they'll make their, they'll make their, no their, their, their presence known by things like pools of water on the floor and stuff like that. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, Jesus. Uh, if it was it, pools of cat puke, I would have about twenty entities in my house right now. There you go. <laughs> my cats just got, went I, crazy. 
There you go. Yeah, well, there you go. I've got cats too, but they seem to handle it better than I did. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. If you're going to go down the magical path, you've got to be prepared for this stuff. It's kind of comical. You've got to learn to laugh at it. I mean, you've got to learn to, to ha- you know, you can't be, oh, Jesus Christ, the, 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 my entire bookshelf, just my entire bookshelf of all my books just jumped off the wall with about 400 books in it and flew across the room. You, got, you can't scream right at the door screaming, where's the priest? Get the holy water. You only have to, you have to pick it up and you have to laugh. And that's what happens. That's the kind of thing that right. happens. You start I screaming totally and fearing they're just going to, it's a, you know, smorgasbord. Yeah. Plus, we all know that there's something very dispelling about laughter anyway, the vibrational rate of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Buddhists have this thing called laughing at demons. Yes. And uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I learned that. That's one of the reasons I was, I'm always telling jokes and having a laugh. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. years, writing, satirical, writing to satirical stories. I mean, we were doing this years ago on Usenet. We invented an, an Air Force army of teddy bears that was going to like end the violence in Northern Ireland. And we were attacking the IRA with teddy bears. And there was IRA guys, and we were like telling them, like, you know, you've been sentenced to death. This is actually what's happening. You can see this stuff online. Uh, we've sentenced you to death by being bashed with ted- ten- by teddy bears. And they, these guys were laughing. And guess what? The, the war in Northern Ireland stopped. The IRA put down their guns. I don't have anything to do with it, but we were doing these kinds of things. And then when I see this 4chan stuff and Keck and all this, this stuff has been going on for years. We just weren't as evolved, or we just weren't as uh, sophisticated about it. But absolutely, humor is the key because that cracks open the matrix. Like you forget about ayahuasca. If you want to smash over the ma- hmm. smash open the matrix, go into like heavy satire. You know, because what happens is satire. I mean, firstly, satire takes a a complex level of um, awareness to understand. A lot of people don't get it. Like people in like cults or religious people or uh, political people don't don't get it. So it's a way of like bashing down without them actually knowing about it. They're like, what does this mean? What do you mean? What, is it? what are you talking about? They don't, you know, they, they would not, they don't get the, you, you, the, 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 the very subtle contextual uh, aspects of satire is incredibly powerful because it can literally disarm, you know, a, a very dangerous forces because they don't know what. This is why, you know, the, the jester was always the one to survive in the ancient medieval courts when everyone else was dead. This is why you put the joker back in the deck of the last card. Uh, this is, this is, I mean, uh, Jesus Christ. When I think, I think most of my magical practice has probably been satire over the years, big time. I mean, I mean, really big time. We used to make lo- fanzine and newsletters. We used to put like weird things, hilarious things up around Dublin, you know, uh, during the elections, you know, we used to put up giant posters saying it, you know, we used to put election posters, they vote for my penis and this kind of thing. And, uh, it was just to make people's heads go, just what the hell is this? The smashed them out of reality. And here we have this guy nowadays in 2018, Donald Trump, who's basically doing that in the Oval Office on, and on Twitter. The <laughs> like, supreme troll. Like, yeah. what, a, what a world we have. What a world we've, we've, we ended up in. What a, what, a, what a time to be alive. You know, on, on the other hand, we have, um, I forget his name, Dank, Captain Dank. I forget his name. The guy in Scotland who was in jail. Oh, for he got his dog to say Heil Hitler. Yes. Yeah, but, but ultimately that will have a happy ending because... Uh, I hope so. Uh, yeah, those things, are, those things don't, you know, the, I mean, it's only dogmatic lunatics who actually think that that was justifiable. And they've never been served well by history. History has never, has never been kind to the dogmatics. So, <laughs> ironically, he has a dog, but uh, no pun there. But yes. Uh, I think that those things will have happy endings in the end. 
It seems like in general right now, satire and humor is really under attack. And it isn't, it is over here for sure. Um, That's because the Illuminati doesn't want us to have any fun. Well, it's come, whatever reason, it's a reality and it's happening and people are taking offense to everything. They've lost their sense of humor. Um, It's considered something, you know, all this big band of hate speech. And that leads me into this question of what do you think is actually going on, Thomas, with this, these, the crazy environment in which we find ourselves in interesting with all the earth changes and then all this political upheaval around the world. Um, and, and the way things are shifting, what, what's your take on it in general? Yeah, we're having an evolutionary process and the ones who are kind of switched on and having a laugh and still, you know, can laugh and joke and have satire and things like that. We are the future. The ones who are trying to suppress laughs and jokes and calling it all offensive and saying it's politically incorrect. They're the past, they're the dinosaurs, they're the dodos, they're, they're, they're gone, they're history. And they're, they're basically the walking dead. And that's the future. Uh, humanity right now is evolving very, very fast into something new. It has, probably hasn't happened since the Enlightenment, of even then before at the Renaissance. And we are stepping into a new world, and these people are missing the boat. And that's why they're trying to pull anyone back who's moving ahead. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I have tremendous respect for the people behind things like 4, 4chan and all this kind of thing. And I think they're actually, they're going to be, in, in the future, they'll be looked upon as the, the, the engineers of the new renaissance. They will be looked upon in the same way the philosoph- you know, philosophers were of, uh, of the Enlightenment. I think that in the future, they will be held in very high esteem for having brought humanity to a better place. Now, they're, they're, a lot of times they're acting subconsciously. Uh, they're, they're, but... Uh, History has never been kind to anyone who is, who is offended. And history has been kind, to, very kind to the Mavericks. And this is, always remember this, history has always been kind to the Mavericks and unkind to the dogmatics. And what we're seeing now is that turbocharged. Turbocharged. Uh, uh, we are, for, I mean, Trump is fulfilling an archetype I don't care if you like him. I don't care if you hate him. He represents something special. There's something going on there. Pay attention and stop being an Egypt and a fool, uh, holding yourself back from, from some kind of evolutionary, social, or spiritual, or cultural development. Pay attention. Uh, you, I mean, yeah, the, what's happened is the gates have been opened, and, and there's, some of us have run, through, run into the forest. We've run away. And we're feral, and the other crowd are gone. Uh, I, I, I demand you come back here into our little prison with us. I demand you come back in here to our, our conformist world. How dare you? And that's exactly what's happening. And uh, yeah, that's what it is evolution, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime, but I'm absolutely loving every second of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, same. I find it, it it's an exhilarating this what we're all collectively experiencing or dreaming or going or through manifesting. It. Yeah. It's fascinating. Manifest. Yeah. It's like, we are, it's like we are feral beasts and, uh, we're having some, I mean, ah, Jesus. Like, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I was so, I was told, what was I saying there last week? I, I was like, uh, out of the blue, one of the guys at work turns around and said, you know, they say that your man Trump is an asshole and he's dangerous. And he comes out this out of blue and he goes, 
you know, I kind of like him. And I says, why? It's because he doesn't give a shit. Sure. And maybe that's the, he doesn't give a shit. And maybe that's the, and I've never seen a politician that didn't give a shit except doing what he wanted to do. Right. And I says, I says, he says, he's, he's, and like, he, then he said later something, and this is a guy I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify as a great thinker. He says, he's probably the first American president that's a human being. A human being. I mean, yeah, no, just, it's prob- how probably do mean, true. How do you mean a human being? Well, he's, I mean, I feel like I go up and have a, t- a talk with him. He doesn't feel like he's, he's acting out some kind of like universities uh, program. And I think that's unprecedented to even get to that far. I mean, I've got a new book coming out. It's a second version of my old book, The Anvil of the Psyche. But I mean, if you even look at Trump's election, Hillary Clinton was winning until we reached three o'clock, the witching hour. Allegedly. And, we don't know allegedly. if the polls were accurate. If you look at those, if you look at the counts as they're coming in, they literally flip at 3 a.m. It's, hmm. it's bizarre. It's truly bizarre. It's like the human race on that night flipped. And then you have the Brexit thing in England. I, was, I woke up the next morning laughing my head off on Brexit passed. I was like, that came, and that was just basically ordinary people saying, let's vote against it for a laugh. Let's see what happens. And, and, and the establishment doesn't get it. The establishment doesn't get that a lot of Americans voted for Trump for a laugh. Mm-hmm. You understand? Like, let's see what happens. Let's see if we can piss off the Clintons. Let's see if we can piss off. And that's what happened with Brexit as well. And, and, and that's the situation. I mean, a lot of people just did it for, I mean, th- those two mornings, Brexit and Trump elected, I was walking around laughing my head off because the program had failed and had failed in the most comical and uh, funny way. I th- and and I, I, don't think, I, I don't think I've had... A day of like, I, the days of like, I mean, I can't understand these people who are terrified. Oh, the world is going to end. The UK is going to go into starvation and war because it's leaving the European Union. America is going to become a dark and evil place. And I'm like, have you paid attention? It's been like, it's been true freedom. We don't know what's going to happen. That's true freedom. Right. For, for once, our future is not programmed. Yeah, and I love that. Right. That's that's the thing for anyone that voted for Trump that was just voting to step away from what the trajectory was. You could see it with the old school stuff. It was more of the same. And um, so the absurdity of Trump, you know, really brought in that jester feel. That, Big time. Yeah. Big time. It's almost like it, we've got our free will back at some point. It was a yeah. wild card, so it's yeah, like betting, you know, betting against the house in a way. And to see, to see the likes of Hillary Clinton literally disintegrate right after, afterwards was a remarkable thing. She's literally started melting like the witch in the... We've seen her, she looks physically terrible. It just yes. goes to show you how much these people were driven by their pathological need for absolute power. It was almost like there was an entity inside her who wanted to be in the yes. White House. And once it didn't get its way, it left her and left her to die. Speaking of her, um, what do you make of this, this projection of their crimes on the right as, um, as crime? You know, like, that's a bad way to put it. Hillary was on an interview the other night, and she said, you know, that they, the Democrats, couldn't be civil with these people, i.e. the Republicans, because they're trying to destroy what we created. I don't know if you heard that interview. No, but it doesn't make sense because it was a, it was a one-party system before that. I mean, she was basically a neocon, and so was Obama. They were working at the same agenda that the, the Bushes and stuff were coming along with. 
uh, the Republicans don't seem to be particularly happy. The mainstream old school Republicans despise Trump as well. He's uh, so she, she's desperately trying to keep that duopoly of the kind of the old, and you have it in every country, not just the United States, every country, Ireland, Britain, everywhere. Oh, this is a left wing and a right wing, a pretend left wing and a pretend right wing. But they're all they're ultimately the same bullshit working together uh, for the same globalist agenda. I think that she was desperate. No, I think it's quite the opposite. I think that uh, they're, 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 the greatest crime that he's committed is that they don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he hasn't done anything wrong as far as I can see. <laughs> no, no, he's done nothing wrong. He's just mm-hmm. behaved himself. He's, doing, he's actually behaved, he's been an administrator, which is what a polit, it's all we want from politicians. Just administrate. We don't want philosophies. We don't want thousand points of light. We don't want shining cities on a hill, a place called hope. What we want is you're the boss. The place needs running. Gets manage it. Yeah. And that's what he did. Platitudes and abstractions only get you so oh, far, yeah. right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. That, that, she represents the world of platitudes and, uh, and sinister globalism. So one from recently, I've been researching into constitutional law and to the constitution rather, and treason specifically, and to incite people to obstruct the president from doing his job is technically treasonous. Yeah, and we've got all these Democrats out there screaming, you know, go make their life hell, get in their face, you know, and we've seen it on TV and or not TV, but on on YouTube and whatnot. It's interesting that no one else is looking at it from that angle. No, it's funny. I always think about that as well. But look how look how low they stunk with KN West spewing all these all these like you know these liberals spewing these disgusting racial terms. Oh, I know. Them. I mean, they they showed their real colors right there and then. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, you, did you see you Don know, Lemon talking to about Kanye? How he's racist you know, and he's an Uncle Tom and all this shit. It was it was shocking. It was, really, it was shocking. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's like yeah, and it, was, it was a woman. They would call her a stupid bimbo. Uh, while claiming to be defenders of women's right for expression, they've they, you know what, let me tell you what Trump really is. He's a Luciferian attenuator. Mm-hmm. He is Lucifer. He is Loki. He has blasted the light upon them, and they've all been seen for what they are. And that's what he is. This is a very powerful Lucifer. Even though he, he talks about being a Christian, but he, I get he's it. Very, yeah. He's oh, very much a Luciferian, a Luciferian president, yeah. and mm-hmm. he has lifted, shone the light in the dark corners. And the the cockroaches were shown for what they were. And the roaches well, he's are insistent re- on on gold behind him, gold in the White mm-hmm. House being shown with gold, um, Apollo paintings, and all that. I mean, he's he's assembled all the symbols that are speaking to people on the deeper, more unconscious level, as opposed right. to his level of speech. And so it's it's very clear he's he's intentionally projecting that. Well, when he was doing the speeches during the campaigns, he was doing maduras and stuff like that to protect his uh, the the Hindu, the Vedic hand symbols. Who yes. Who to protect himself from psychic the attacks? Mudras. Who yeah. told him that? And then you have the muppets going, "Oh, that means white power. Go away, you morons!" You People need to look at the power. mudras. Yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, that is so simple-minded. Also, he's. He, I don't remember where I heard this, but I did. He's been doing executive orders and specific things and taking meetings on specific lunar calendar days like on full moons and new moons yeah he's not a stupid man in fact they're stupid that's why they call him stupid even if you go to trump tower i mean i lived in new york you look at that building it's got a certain kind of style about the architecture of the trees growing up the side and yeah i mean the man who uh, has a great understanding for symbolism and for uh Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Rowdy, he's got a great understanding of that. And he had, oh, you know, his his inauguration ceremony was bullshit because he didn't have you two or Bruce Springsteen. He didn't. He didn't need it. He didn't need it. Yeah, there's a there's a definite um, for people that say he's an idiot. I just I I question that. Listen, I don't have a I don't have skin in this game. I'm an observer. I find it all fascinating and lots of humor. But people that say he's an idiot are are on. I'm starting to question their intelligence if they're not able to parse out and dig deeper into actually what's being presented to us symbolically, which is really where. The communication happens and he is masterful at these things. He's masterful at timing. He's masterful at looking like a fool and he's masterful at uh, draping himself in potent ancient symbology through color and form. And he uses Twitter like a magic wand. He has, he's, and he's modern, he has, right? He has, he has millions of neurotics who sit on Twitter all day long waiting, waiting to be traumatized. You want to talk about Pavlovian conditioning? It's yes. Like Pavlov- <laughs> Pavlovian conditioning needs ga- self-gaslighting. And they sit there waiting, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Oh my God, what did he just say? And it's like, and, and then you think you're winning? You think he's, gonna, <laughs> you think you're in, he's not in control? I have to laugh at that. He uses, he uses Twitter like a magic wand. It is. It's awesome to behold. Yeah, I like. For me, this is all. Well, this is. You know what's what's extra great about this is that everyone's showing their true colors here. We're seeing how triggered everyone gets, and then in that process, they're showing what they weren't showing before, and so we're starting to see the breakdown of personas and 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 looking below and beneath, which is it's it's also you know it's like stepping out of waking life and into another state of consciousness where we can see what's actually at play under personas under big personas that have been in places and positions of power for quite some time i'll give you a great example i'll give you a great example when trump came into power this guy justin trudeau and the media up in canada thought that they could be the anti-trump so if he did all the politically correct things, uh, all the all all the platitudes, it would somehow make Trump look like a fool, and he would vanish because Canada has this cool, cool prime minister. When was the last time you heard from him? He had he just made himself look like the biggest clown on the face of the earth. He Got sure smacked did. down by Trump too, and we haven't seen him in ages. From him, like you know, so being so trying so hard to be the prince of platitudes, he's gone. Uh, it just goes to show you that even can even Canadians are embarrassed by it. But it's like it's like you know, and they're pretty easygoing people. But I don't blame them. And it's like, I mean, most Canadians I know are like, this guy's making us look like a clown. Uh, this whole idea. Oh, do you remember all the celebrities that were going to go to Canada? What happened to them? They didn't go. I mean, I, I mean, we'll we'll never see anything like this again. We're we're blessed to be living through this time. It is. It. I feel. I feel blessed for sure. Big mm-hmm. will will one always keep moved. on turning. I forget who it was, but one person did move to Canada. One celebrity. Well, mm-hmm. let you know. You're not going to get away from the fact that it is. It is always going to turn. That's one thing that I always noticed in death 
of people close to me. The world continues on. Something can be really devastating to me and and my world is slowed down or stopped and I'm in pause and the world continues on. People are still going to work. There's this humming, there's this fighting, drama, all this. And that leads me to this question, Thomas. What do you think the lesson of death is? Since it's an inevitability, we come in, we understand that's a point in space-time, right? Um, and it, no matter what our philosophical understanding of anything is and, and what faith or um, convictions we have, we still all meet that point in space-time. And even in the idea of this being an illusion or a dream, that's still a point in which we engage. So what do you think is going on with it? Well, being a, being a, a very much a, a, a typical Celtic pagan, I totally am down with the idea of reincarnation. I know it to be a fact. It's not even like something I believe in, or I know reincarnation is real. I've met people from previous incarnations of me in this life, and I will meet them again. Where it's far more complex than just like you're born and you relive again and you pay, you know, the the idea that you get like a Vedic ideas. But I mean, the the Irish, the Irish idea, the Irish pagan idea of reincarnation is fascinating you have basically a thing called a like a soul that travels through different experiences and it's called a somloth in in, in Irish language and so for instance you could be re- reunited with your with your loved one as your son in the future but you may you may appear to her as a salmon that she's eating so your your soul was in the salmon that was caught out of the river she eats the salmon and then she gets pregnant and you're your somnath or your soul is passed into that. I think it's a very beautiful way of looking. I think it makes a lot of sense to me. And that way you experience every aspect of the universe, not as a punishment thing, but almost like an experiential thing. So I absolutely very much down. And just as I write in sorcery, the spiritualist movement, which got a lot of flack in the late Victorian era, did prove beyond the doubt that life after death does exist. I mean, and that was brought amazingly into focus by the whole thing with uh, spirits who couldn't read and write because they never got education. And it was only middle-class people who could actually uh, communicate through writing back into the, into the spiritualist groups. And that was like, that was like bulletproof proof that reincarnate, that there's, you know, there's life after death. What does death mean as a thing? Death is a reset button to begin a new program, just like 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. You might even go back, who knows? You might even run the same program again. But I do think that's what it is. I think that's ultimately what it is. Uh, people shouldn't be afraid of it. Of course, no one wants to die young or no one wants to die with disease or anything like that. But having said that, I absolutely, beyond a shadow of doubt, totally believe in reincarnation. And here's another thing I want to bring up. I think it's optional. I think if you don't believe in anything after death, you'll shut your program down. And I often wonder if there's some very sinister, dark, uh, dark uh, occultic motives that all this growth in, uh, in, in extreme atheism and material. Oh, you're nothing. You're nothing. When you're gone, it's over. This kind of thing. And having all these people believe this, because I do believe they will terminate their, they will terminate their consciousness that they will dissipate and they will be gone. And, you know, the, even in, in the Kabbalah and in Orthodox Judaism, there's a, ver- a process called the Gilgul, 
where you actually get yourself ready to be reincarnated. You know, Judaism does have a form of reincarnation, but you, if, you, if you feel like your life hasn't been uh, satisfactory, you can redo it again. But you actually work on it. You have to get yourself ready. You process it. And I'm very suspicious of all this stuff about saying, oh, there's, it's, you're, just, you're just a meat puppet. You're just a meat robot. There's nothing in there. And when you die, you're gone. Uh, I, I, you know, we want to talk about dark forces running the world. I think that could be an indication. I'll say, I'll say running the world. We're running the world. We're the good guys. But I mean, if there's a dark force, a dark demonic force behind it that definitely has a grievance with humanity, what, what more powerful way to do it than to encourage them to believe that after they die, there's nothing? Because then you're having a, basically, you're having a military type of idea and you're wiping out the enemy. So people need to be very careful about that. So, so if, if, if our world, this realm, is a projection from consciousness, as, you, as we discussed earlier, wouldn't that make these dark forces part of us, part of consciousness? Yeah, uh, that's what the whole thing is. They are part of us. I mean, I, mean, I wrote a the book collective on Collective shadow, maybe. Sorry. Yeah, I wrote, two, I wrote two books on psychopaths, and I came to the conclusion that psychopaths probably do exist to make us better as, people, as a species. Because how we react to their appalling behavior and how, you know, whether they're getting government or whether they're serial killers or whether they're pedophiles or anything, it actually makes us grow as a species in a compassionate way. You know, you, you look at a lot of the things we have today, they're things of how we, res we responded to things like slavery, to the Holocaust, to civil, you know, apartheid in South Africa. We have, we've, we've tried to become a more compassionate species. And it was that the trigger mechanism was that psychopathic pathology that allowed it. So, absolutely, shadow and light works together. And the only thing I want to say, just just a observation, that is a form of trauma-based mind control. Yeah. So. Uh, in a, <laughs> but in a in a more kind of uh, um, sensitive os way. Osmosis. Mm. Yeah, osmosis. A constructive way, husband. Yeah, 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 it is, it is. It's like, yeah, we're being prodded. But also it leads to things like art and philosophy. You know, how many, you know, it, it's led to great literature, it's led to great songs, it's led to great music. So there's also, it, it's, it's far more refined than there's, there's, there's pieces of shit out there who are destroying the humanity. Let's stop them. It, 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 when you look at it, it's, it's so much more fantastic. We have the world of mythology. We have the world of literature and art. A lot of, you know, you know, a lot of darkness creates, you know, the blues, blues music. You know, it goes on and on. I mean, I come from a country that has a phenomenal cultural legacy built out of suffering. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. And so, uh, you know, once you look at it in a holistic way as, a, a, you know, in that sense, I think it's very healthy. God, I was wondering what, where your ideas are, and I kind of feel like I, I know where you're going to go with this, especially from watching your videos and all this, but what are your ideas on um, free will and destiny, intent and fate, and um, how, is, how possible is it to change a, a whole trajectory of a timeline one's on? I think fate and free will work together. I think it's almost like a game of Dungeons and Dragons where the, whatever our internal dungeon master has set up a, 
a, a scenario, a campaign for us. And uh, we have our cognitive functioning and our abilities to adapt and change as it goes along. Again, it, it all seems to be a, kind of a growth process mechanism. Do you think this is kind of something we've been, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but we're also, we've been exploring it a little bit more. The idea of the internet and especially as the internet of things is getting more connected, is it, is it becoming its own entity or consciousness? Um, oh yeah, that's happened. That's happened already. And entities are living on the internet. Could you uh, elaborate on that a bit? Well, last year, uh, in 2016, 17, sorry, uh, Facebook shut down their servers because of uh, the artificial intelligence mainframes were talking to each other in a language that the developers couldn't understand. Now, it's actually more scary than that. Um, it was uh, the, picture, in pictures they were doing it. The, yeah, they were, they were talking in symbols. They were developing a religion. They were developing a religion. And, uh, and how it was doing, uh, how I know this is that a friend of mine works, Facebook, most of the American, Ireland is like the Silicon Valley of, uh, of Europe. So they're all here, Google, Facebook, all their, all their stuff is all in Dublin. And he worked for Facebook and he said it went beyond symbols. He says they were almost developing a religion and it was running, it was happening at an exponential rate that they did with no, they shut down the servers in the US and in Ireland at the same time. Uh, just to, to kill the a kill, literally a kill switch. It was developing, and this has happened on others on other systems as well. Um, if the complexity, uh, and also there's, I'll give you an example. There's the there's a there's a demon called Coronzon, and Coronzon is the ba babbler in the abyss. Coron and Coronzon is all over social media. It creates this fake, now, uh, now, I know it's hard for people to say, like, well, no, it's an energy form. It's an energy form that has a specific consciousness uh, trajectory. And it's, it's, the, it's a great chaos and confusion. And a lot of these fake accounts, I think, on, on Facebook are, th are this kind of idea. Now, if, uh, two years ago, a year ago, I was getting endless fake uh, girly accounts some some girly in a short skinny dress if she's from africa or whatever eastern europe what and sending me fans requests i was blocking them blocking them blocking them right uh you know there was three profile pictures uh you know and she's doing a, she's she's showing her ass in a selfie or a low-cut dress it's it, and they are honey traps it's obvious right well then i said fuck it I'm going to start talking to these women and see what's behind it. If it's a guy in Nigeria after my credit card, let's 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 just play. Let's just play. Well, it was it was bizarre. So you'd get like some girl, whatever her name was, like Susan, and she'd go, "Hi," and I'd go, "Hi," and she'd go, uh, "What's your name?" And uh, no, she'd say, "Where are you from, Thomas?" Now, where are you at? Where are you at? Always, where are you at? And I said, Ireland, <laughs> neat. And then she, then she say, she say something like, uh, uh, you know, do you like this kind of music or do you like this kind of? Music? And I would write back things. And I'm not kidding you. I would write things back like, uh, so do you think that the British exchequer 
was correct in going from the gold standard back in 1908. Where are you at? That's Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I have a head like a football, and my feet are made out of marzipan and gelatin. Where are you at? <laughs> and it wasn't. It wasn't a script. That's terrible English. It was, it was trying to learn me. Yeah. It was trying to. It was now the complexity has gone from that two years ago of these kind of like. Uh, these kind of mindless dregs entities on the internet, and now they're developing frightening complexity where they're creating plausible backstories, I think. And this is where I think a lot of us worry on the internet. You see, there's been lots of funny things going on on Facebook lately. It's been suddenly shut down. YouTube went down last night. I think these things are now developing near, near full complexity. And it's, and it's funny how it happened at the same weekend that a whole thing came out, this non-player and yes. no character player, no playing characters that uh, I think that they're, they're more complex. So they're like, uh, you know, you, you know, they, they have better photographs, a better backstory. When you say to them, uh, you know, what do you think? Do you think England was wrong to jump from the gold standard in 1980? Instead of going, where are you at? They go, I don't really know much about that stuff. Uh, this is, this is stuff that people got to be, because just because I think chaos is now happening on the electromagnetic, electromagnetic spectrum as well. And it's happening into the digital the digital domain. I mean, I did a talk and then called it about the called the digital gin two years ago, and I predicted this would happen. But it's 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 happening at an exponential rate now. And I think I think they're on the verge of losing control. I think you're gonna have um and it's spooky as well. I think you're gonna have not only the I uh, look, let's look at porn. Just think of the amount of emotional and psychic energy that's poured into the internet. Through guys uh, having a off, yeah. having a hand party watching mm -hmm. porn all over the world, right? That's got to go somewhere, okay? That's got to pool somewhere. That's got to feed something, okay? It's got to be more than that. It's not. Yes. It's, and, yes. And, and, and as and, and in terms, of, look, you look at Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin can do it can grow that rate as a as a cryptocurrency, my uh, uh, to the levels it did, and use of the power and the energy it does. Well, what the hell do these other things do? So I think, again, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not worried about it. But I'm definitely fascinated by it. I'm definitely, yeah. you know, we're living in a real-life science fiction movie at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's good for everyone to be aware that these possibilities may exist and think of ways you can harness it in your own works. Exactly, yeah. Mm. You mean, like, you know, you, we could, that, that's the way I'm thinking it. It's like uh, you, you have a, the potential to have a, you know, a, an army of very powerful servitors at your disposal. Yep. Then yep. you could use it for a fight. You could. I mean, I, I'm thinking down the road. It's like if I can get, I can find one who's really good at financing and investing to make me rich. I mean, this is the way you. You know, instead of being afraid and thinking they're going to strangle you, or you know, find ways that like they could, you know, <laughs> help you. As you said, this is the purpose of chaos to find the emerging uh, cultural uh, energetic forces and to ride it like a surfboard. And uh, it doesn't matter where it comes from or the intensity it comes with. But it's there for the taking. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a, I have just a funny little question. What is it? And this is assuming you, you pay attention to this kind of stuff. But as far as stuff that's being put out on TV or Netflix, um, these series, 
have you been watching any of them? And if so, um, which ones do you think are really significant with what is being presented? I thought so the I, show up that Jack Parsons uh, was very good. What was it called? Strange oh, Angel. Yeah, it was very yeah, good. I thought, I thought that was because it's introducing the masses to these things that they didn't know anything about. Uh, I think I think it was very amazing films in recent years. I think the Irish movie A Dark Song was a fantastic <laughs> film. For, you Absolutely. know, and then there was the there was the uh, the American film uh, Hereditary. Now I know people didn't see it through that, but they should have. That was deeper than what the uh, than what it was presented on the surface. I mean, that was it. That whole film was an invocation or uh, a summoning of uh, Paimon again, our friend, mm-hmm. and. Um, a Dark Song was a beautiful film, absolutely beautiful, and uh, you know a masterpiece. And the, the fact that that even I, I I I haven't I don't think it's been a film at that level of spiritual depth since The Exorcist, which is actually quite a spiritual film if you actually get past the 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 shock yes, value sir. of it. And uh, uh, that uh, that I mean I don't watch a lot of tea. I'm just going to go through my head. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV and stuff like that. Strange Angel, and I think for me, the, the, the movie A Dark Song left an enormous impression on me because it was definitely a movie made by a director uh, and a crew who knew about ceremonial magic. If you get a chance, definitely check out the new Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. It's... Oh, I've been told that was, one of my friends said it wasn't that good, but it is worth watching. I think so. I think you will see what I see in it. Cool. It's cool. very deep psychological stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Do we have any questions we from do. the audience? Chair? We do. Um, Amanda wanted to know if you're going to be doing any more Velocity of Now episodes. Uh, I probably will next week. Uh, I was planning this week, but I have a re- I've had a really bad head cold all week. Yeah, probably next week or the week after. I've got some funny ideas. With I've written some new comedy sketches and stuff. So definitely that right. that's coming up soon. What do you believe is the most effective way to cause positive change in an age where information is becoming increasingly hard to acquire out with, out with or I don't know, without inner knowing, I guess? I don't know what that last word is, you said. Uh, you, I, I missed the I'll, gist I'll, of the I'll read it again. It's the best way for people to cause positive change where... Where coming upon actual uh, factual information is getting harder and harder. Uh, don't become too emotionally tied into it. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, everything is real, nothing is real. Uh, develop neutrality towards information. Don't put emotional capital into it. And don't uh, uh, observe and wait. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm, very good. Okay. Um, Thomas, do you see yourself as a little boy in a messed up world? No, I see myself as a messed up boy in a little world. I don't know. I, don't, uh... <laughs> I, know, I know this idea that I know for a long time, I, this happened to me too, is I always felt like the kid in the room with adults when I spoke, when I worked, whatever. And that changed years ago, but I mean, I think that's what he was getting. I think when I was a young kid, I was way too grown up. Uh, I was too serious, like I said at the beginning. And I think uh, since I've been about mid-30s, I don't give a shit anymore. So I'm sort of going back. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I, I'd say. I'm, I, I, 
I, I'm enjoying having a laugh. I've enjoyed it my whole life. I think that's all the questions we had from the audience. Yeah, and that gets us to about two hours. Definitely, and we're coming a little bit under. So I'd like to thank you, Thomas, for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah I look- and where can people find you and all that, Thomas? What's your... Uh, well, you know they shut down my website. <laughs> I, I saw that. <laughs> so Thomas Sheridan Arts is like now history. I mean, I still have the domain name, but they won't give, they won't give it back to me. Uh, my new website is www.mossuponstones. And, uh, I will put that in the description. And also streetdruid.net. Okay, I'll put, I'll put those in the description for everyone. Yeah, and uh, my web, uh, for this kind of stuff, my YouTube channel, Open Source Occult TV. That I do have in the Yeah, which I love, love, love. Great. It was funny, with the, the week you started that channel, I had just, I was going to start, a, I did start a channel called Open Source Magic, and I, yeah. I got the domain name osmagic.com or .org, I forgot. But then you put up that, I'm like, oh, I'm never going to compete with Thomas. <laughs> so I never did anything with it. Well, I was just talking to the same thing. I just, I, I just picked it because I thought it had a nice ring to it. That it was kind of like a nice ring to it. Same here. Same yeah. here. Great. And Great. also it got, away, it got away from Victorian ancient ideas of sorcery. It was more modern sounding. Yeah, that stuff's right. lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were doing stuff so much more next level. Anyway, thank you so much again <laughs> for being on the show. And uh, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, I had a great time, actually. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I forgot about my head cold. And uh, I, I have to say, I love the questions. They were, you've asked me a lot of questions no one else did. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. This was a great pleasure, Thomas. Seriously, mm-hmm. Jerry and I have both been just reeling to have you on. Yeah. So, And I also want to say thank you to the chat. I'm not there, as you know. But mm-hmm. my big love goes out to everyone. We have a great core group here. Oh, someone just asked when your next book's coming out. The next book, The Amble of the Psyche, will be out before Christmas, the second edition of that. You can do it on, on uh, Lulu again? What's that? We're going to be on Lulu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm all, I, I, I totally don't deal with publishers anymore because it, there's, it's just, it, there's, there's more money in doing it yourself. You have more control. And it, I mean, it allows me to hire my own artwork people and stuff like that so I can help friends out. Right. So I do like that kind of, I like the freedom of that. And I've gotten good at it. It was tricky at first, but I've gotten good at it now. And uh, I've got a, a ton of films coming out. I've got loads of great plans, including I'm going to be taking some trips to Asia and stuff like that. So lots of new, lots of new stuff coming. All right. Well, we're all very much looking forward to those. So mm-hmm. thank you everyone for listening and tuning in and whatever, however you are hearing this. And we'll see you next week. Our guest will be closing out our witchy October month is uh, Faradar Ashen Chassan. Uh, I forget his real name, Brian something. Anyway, he's a pretty awesome hypnotist, magician. He does uh, Solomonic magic. It's going to be a good chat. Be sure to tune in. Be sure to give us a like if you like the show, and subscribe if you want to hear more. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, everyone.